Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. This series is on community. I just want to share this morning uh, just some of the things that the Lord has been showing me. Uh, this is a very practical message, very simple message, but at the same time, I believe it speaks to the heart of everything the Lord has been taking me through and what I believe that needs to apply to every believer, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. And as every time I listen or every time I'm studying even other books, it, it comes back to this central point of community and how we reach our community and how we love our community. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna jump right in this morning. You can take them out and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Uh, Again, two-part series on on community. And we wanna know, basically, as we study Christ and who he is and his character is is what it looks like, what what we're to act like, and what we're to love like, all about Jesus, to model him, the example that he set for us. And so last week, we kind of dove into the greatest commandment. We looked at, at Mark chapter 12, and uh, there was a discussion amongst the religious leaders. There was a question that was asked to Jesus, what should I do? How do I be great? What's the greatest thing for me to follow? What's the greatest thing for me to endeavor in? And Jesus sums it up. He quotes the Shema all the way back from Deuteronomy, and he says, the main thing is that you need to love the Lord with everything. With everything inside of you, you need to love the Lord with everything about you, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we dove into that last week, and we looked at what it, what it means to have that intimate relationship, that, that prayer walk with the Lord. And he said, as you have that intimate prayer walk with the Lord, what's going to happen is, from that, it will birth opportunities. And the opportunity should arise for everyone in here for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Once we love God, it it bursts that. And so this morning, we're going to break that down. We're going to dive into this kind of idea of community. I I just want to kind of, the notion of community is actually church. It's actually who we are. It's actually you and me. It's actually our gathering together. And basically what community looks like, that's going to be our point this morning, that we have a relationship with God and others and how Jesus lived this community out. Luke chapter 15, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. Luke chapter 15. Turn to your neighbor just real quick. Say, you ready? Say, you ready? Tell them they look refreshed. You look refreshed. Even for the early service, you just, you you look refreshed. You look refreshed. (laughs) Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners. Not only that, he eats with them. So just to pause real quick, what we have is a community that is being framed, that is being shaped around Jesus. Now, this was not just a spur of the moment. He was deliberately developing relationships with these people who were drawn to them. He was living in community. He was leading this type of community. And these religious leaders are not happy. 
And so they start to grumbling, and through their grumbling, Jesus gives this story. It says, so he told them a parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Father, today I pray, as we look at this very familiar story, and sometimes when we look at a story like this, we tend to pick sides of the story of where we want to put ourselves. But God, I pray that this story would open up our minds and our hearts to receive maybe a different perspective this morning. God, a perspective of what your community looks like, what your love looks like. And God, it would change, it would motivate us and equip us to do your work that you've called us to do. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen, amen. As you're seated one more time, tell that neighbor they look good. Now the purpose of this grumbling and complaining is ultimately... The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the pastors, the teachers of that community, they didn't like what Jesus was doing. And they're posing the question, they're saying, why these people? Why, why these people? So, so Jesus in his amazing tact, and I, I love how he dives into the story. I love the way he begins here. He says, kind of like this phrase, wouldn't you? Wouldn't, wouldn't you do this? You know you have those people in your life that just kind of mess with you? It's obvious, wouldn't you do this? That's kind of what he's, he's, he's stating here. Wouldn't you do this? Wouldn't if, if you had a hundred sheep, wouldn't you, wouldn't you live this way, right? He's kind of supposing that they see like he sees. So he's telling them, you guys see it how I see it. But in all actuality, Jesus knows that they don't see like he sees and that's why he's telling them the story. And so there's this, there's this kind of start of the story that says, open up your eyes, look around. If you guys, you know, if you guys were a good shepherd, if you guys were great pastors and leaders and teachers, if, if you counted your sheep and, and one was missing, wouldn't you leave those 99 and go after the one? Because that's what you would do, right? And he's posing this question. And of course, for them, the answer is none would do that. The, they wouldn't do that. I, I don't know... I've, I've grown in the city all my life, and I, I don't know much about sheep, farming, agriculture. Any, any farmers in here, agriculture? Nobody. <laughs> We're city folk. Okay, got a couple in the back. I see them now. Okay, yeah, there we go. I don't know. I, 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 when I picture sheep, like, I always picture... Mary had a little lamb, right? I always picture like this cute little thing that could be the puppy of the house, you know, that could run around, that you could pet. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I took the kids on a field trip to a petting zoo. They had a sheep. That thing was disgusting. I mean, he was up to your waist, nappy stuff huge smelly and you know they have the little things that you crank and you you, you do the, you kind of stick through the fence 
I didn't even want to feed him. I'm like, you're not wasting 25 cents on that guy. He needs to be shaved and cleaned up. He smells horrible. Like, like, and, and, and then, God forbid, they turn around, and it's just gross. Sheep. The, she, the shepherd is kind of the lowly position of the community. And, and he says, wouldn't you, if you were a shepherd, wouldn't you do this? And, and then I got to thinking about counting. Like, sheep move, Right? Like, they're not staying still. I can barely count my four kids, you know, in an area. And she, they're, they're moving around, let alone a hundred sheep. Trying to, you get the picture, trying to count a hundred sheep. You see, I think this is where, in, in shepherding, this is where the word approximately came into play. Uh, five, seven, ten. That looks like a group of 20. Evangelistic speaking, we're approximately, we're approximately at a hundred. I think we got, I think, I think... I think, I, think we got, I think we got them all. Jesus says, he makes this crazy statement. He says, uh, wouldn't you look for the one? After you were that specific in, in counting, wouldn't you, wouldn't you look for the one? He makes this bigger statement to them. Wouldn't, wouldn't you leave the material possessions, the, the material monetary security of 99 because sheep is your checking and savings account, wouldn't you leave the security, the expensive of the 99, and wouldn't you leave all that way, all your money, and go look for the one lost one? And Jesus says, this is how I, I see the community. You see, he's trying to make a point. He's trying to make a point that I'm a different type of leader. I'm a different type of shepherd I'm a different type, and, and I, I think this is the whole goal this morning. And so I, I kind of want to dive into three things from this story of confrontation about a shepherd, about a shepherd who is forming a community, and how we need to have that community that looks and lives and acts like Jesus. So you guys ready? Number one, and I know it says notes, but they'll pop up there, and you can follow along. You can still take notes, even though it's there, and you don't have the blank. Number one, God cares about the one. God cares about the one. He seems to be in this conversation, searching and appealing to the pastors of his day. Do you care about the one? Don't you care about the one? Can you leave your financial security and go after the one? This, Jesus is literally saying, this is how I see the world. This is how I see a community developing. It's chasing the one. And here's the point for these religious leaders, and I believe it's the point for us. Are we moving to become a community that cares? Or is this just about a religious organization in the huddle? Are, are we moving to become a community that cares? Are we willing to be the kind of the community that, that doesn't just look for people, that doesn't just see the pain, that just doesn't see the problem, but looks and keeps looking and keeps caring in the ongoing process of what it takes to be a shepherd? Are we willing, are we willing to do that? You see, this is where, I'll be honest, this is where I struggle. Man, I, I, I love, like, like this idea of, of keep on going care, it's difficult. I love the idea of, of missions trips. They're one of my favorite things. We were youth pastors, we'd go take the teenagers on one every summer. They do that every summer with Pastor Jonathan and his team. I love going overseas. I love seeing foreign missions and the gospel unreached. And I, I, I kind of like that because I can go and I can serve like crazy and then I can come back and do my regularly scheduled program. 
And I kind of love the two-day outreaches and the things that we do. All of those are, are very, very important. And I'm not downplaying any of them because we need them to happen. But the ongoing thing about community when it comes to my coworker, what do I do? When it, it's hard, it's hard to keep caring. It's hard to do it on an ongoing basis in my sphere of influence. And that person that drives me crazy at work. Because why? It takes time and energy and effort and and intentionality on an ongoing basis to keep caring and keep searching and keep looking. It's the ongoing stuff that's hard. And so my question as we look at realizing that God cares about the one, what if you and I would be willing to love our neighbor? I know we're busy. But the shepherd is telling us, this is our point. This is our goal. This is the greatest thing you can do for the kingdom of God is love other people. What kind, of, what kind of shepherd would it be? What kind of shepherd would you be if you took inventory in your sphere of influence? Where God has placed you right now. See, the thing about sphere of influence is just a little bit extra. So often we're ready to move to the next spot. We're so dissatisfied with where we are because we don't like where we're ready to move. We're ready to get out. We got to move to the next promotion, move to the next thing. And sometimes God has us in a sphere of influence to look for the one. And you may be the only Jesus that they see. That shepherd, that move. What, what would it be like if we took inventory? What would it be like if you woke up Monday and you said, who's lost? Who's marginalized? Who's looked over? Who's not counted? And you reached out and you cared. And you kept caring. If you looked around this gathering right here on Sunday morning and made efforts and attempts to care and love for one another. If you understood that your job is not just a job to collect a paycheck, but it's to reach out and it's to care and it's to connect. Understanding that there are a lot of lost sheep. There's a lost one right around you. What if you cared? God cares about the one. Number two, we're going to move quickly. God is actively involved with the one. God is actively involved with the one. Look at this, look at this. He says, if he has lost one of them, does he not leave the 99 in the open country? Look at this phrase, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. I've read this passage of a, a thousand times, but this just, this jumped out at me. He goes after after the one until he finds it. He's inviting these religious leaders into this level of awareness of counting sheep that they should care for the community. And then he shifts to the point and says, we've got to be active in this. He shifts to the mode that you have to be actively involved. He's saying, guys, this is what the shepherd does. He's actively involved in caring for lost sheep. You see, love and care, according to the shepherd, will always leave you to motivation and movement. Love and care, as you do that, the byproduct should be in our life. It's easy to say, I love. In fact, it's the new phrase. I love you. I love tacos. I love football. I love. I love. But love, true, genuine love and care, always motivates you to compassion. always moves you in a direction. It always motivates you to action. And what happens is once you understand the value of that one lost sheep, that one lost sheep becomes really, really important because of your care. Two things, two things about getting involved like this. When you care genuinely, when you understand the heart of God and the, understand the heart of your shepherd, care will cause you to keep looking. 
This, this action, it's not just a one-time adventure because what happens is it's the passion of the shepherd, it's the passion of the community, it's the passion of the love and the heart of God. And so now it motivates me and moves me to keep looking. And so here's my question this morning. Are we gonna be that kind of community that keeps looking for the displaced, that keeps looking for the marginalized and the misplaced and goes after the heart and actions of the shepherd? The next thing you'll see is that when you see, when you start looking, what you're gonna find is this thing called pain. How many of you have seen pain in our world? Anybody see that? How many of you have seen pain in your sphere of influence? How many of you have seen pain in your workspace? How many of you have seen pain in your own family? You see, what happens is when we start genuinely looking with care, you will come face to face with pain. You'll come face to face with pain. And look, watch, care will cause you to move towards pain. Now here, here's, here's the difficult part. Here's the stretch and here's where I want to spend some time. There are two major places that pain comes from and we there's a number but if you just if you whittle it down to two major places either you put that pain on yourself by your own doing how many experienced pain by your own doing anybody got a testimony or a story in here i've experienced some pain by my own doing or there's pain that comes from someone else that they put on you or a tragedy or something that's beyond your ability that has come into your life now here's the problem here's the problem when we say care we get uncomfortable with pain. We get, un- we get uncomfortable with pain. And here's the thing. If, I, don't, I see this so much that we have this rationalization that if someone brings pain on themselves, typically I have no patience for that person. Follow me here. I don't move towards that pain because they did that to themselves. And I kind of say in my head, you made your bed, you can lie in that bed. Any parents ever use that term? That's not moving towards pain. I'm just kidding. You made your bed and you can lie in it. So, so we have phrases is because you're an addict, this is the result of your addiction. And so this is what you now have to do with. Now there is a principle of reaping and sowing. I'm not negating that. But our responsibility as a community is to move toward that pain, disciple that pain, and help that pain. Because you were an addict, this is the result. Because you did this to your wife, your marriage is now erect. Because, because you, you did this, I see this in your life. And we're very good teachers in this. We're very good tellers in this. But are we empathizing, sympathizing, and walking through life with people in their time of pain? See, when somebody does it to themselves, my movement towards the pain has a tendency to stop. Pain, the other pain that someone is going through because of others that's been placed on them on an outside circumstances. Here's the catch with this one. Many times if I haven't been through that pain myself, I don't know what to do. And because I don't know what to do, I don't understand it, I'm awkward, I'm uncomfortable, I don't know how to minister and I get in this place where I stop moving towards that pain. Now let me tell you this, in moving towards people pain, people's pain, can I just free you up this morning? You don't have to understand it. You don't have to justify it. You don't have to rationalize it. Hurt is hurt, and we are called to move towards it. Okay? I just want to just say something. It's, it's been on my heart for the last three weeks or so with the events that have happened in Charlottesville. And maybe the, the thing that's in a lot of our rooms and spaces, and sometimes we don't even mention, 
I just want to be transparent that um, I, I don't know what it's like to walk into a room and be profiled. I've, not, I've, never, I've never experienced that. I don't know what it's like to have stares and glares and accusations come about. I don't have years of persecution in my history and in my family. I don't, I don't feel fear like that. I don't feel hurt like that or, or pain like that. I've never felt that type of hatred. I don't know what it's like to fear for my kids in that way. And the list can go on and on and on. But the goal, listen to me, if my community hurts, I move towards that hurt. Let me say that again. No matter what color your skin, if my community hurts, I move towards that hurt. Because when you hurt, I hurt. When you need someone to stand with you, I stand with you because we're a community. Because it's ultimately what we heard from worship that it's my job to bear one another's burdens and intentionally care for the community that God has around us. That's community. And I will tell you, that's the divisive attack from the enemy. It's to say that the pain you don't understand or the pain that they let, it's to avoid pain. When God is calling us, especially if you look at this story, is to be actively engaging and moving towards, towards pain. That's the point that Jesus is trying to get. He's asking this community of religious leaders, would you allow your blinders to be taken off? Would you let the Holy Spirit introduce you and open up your eyes to pain? And then what's he going to ask you to do? Then would you be willing to care and stand and move towards that pain? You see, if, if we care like this, if we create a community like this, if we look and love and act like Jesus, I believe some things personally I know in my life and in many of us have to change. You see, when... We're faced with these uncomfortable situations or faced with these pain. We, we have these cover-up methods where we're too busy. We get sarcastic. We joke because we don't get it and we don't understand it. But when you see and when you move like Jesus moves, I want to tell you guys, this will challenge your schedule. You guys with me this morning? I know I'm coming in right. I'm coming in hot. You guys with me this morning? It will challenge your schedule It will challenge your social habits. It will challenge your profiling. It will challenge your sarcasm. And what that does, it starts to shift because now you're concerned that a lot of times when you do that, you're avoiding pain and now God is calling you to be concerned and move towards pain. God's leading you towards that. And when you say... And when you say you, you care and you're actively involved and you're willing, you know what? It will even affect the direction of your money. You'll leave the 99 security and you'll go after the one as you're actively involved in searching and loving and caring for people. And Jesus says, you would do this too, right? This is what, this is what you would do if you were a good shepherd. And these Pharisees, they, they don't like it at all. And they don't understand why, because they, they don't do this. Do you remember the woman caught in adultery? The woman called in adultery was an act by her own doing. Maybe she was set up. There's a lot in there. But she's caught in adultery. She was caught. She's drug out naked. She was caught sleeping with another woman's husband. 
She's out on the streets and she's there naked and bloody and bruised and broken and humiliated, getting ready to be stoned because she deserved to be stoned. The problem is the Pharisees can't even see the pain. They can't see the pain of what she's gone through. Jesus is saying, you don't even... You don't even care about who's involved. You're not actively pursuing and seeing the pain that's around you. This leads us to to number three. God assumes the burden and restores community to the one. Are you thankful for a Jesus who, who assumes your burden? Watch this. And when he found it, verse five, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Story goes, he he finds the sheep. You get that picture, that, that nasty, mangy sheep who's been wandering away from the flock, who's been alone and scared. He takes that giant sheep, he puts it on his shoulders, saying, Your pain becomes my pain. Your sin becomes my sin. How many of you are thankful that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God? It's an amazing, it's an amazing picture of Jesus. And I got to thinking, what if, what if our community truly learned and developed the habit of bearing one another's burdens? He takes the sheep on his shoulder and it And not only does he take the sheep's burden, he brings the sheep back into community and he affirms and he accepts and he celebrates. This kind of jumped out at me. Because notice he doesn't put the sheep on two weeks probation. I mean, I I have a tendency to do that, especially if someone made their bed and they're lying in it. I told you, you idiot. He doesn't do that. It's the exact opposite, actually. He, he brings it back to joy and celebration, saying, this is your community, and you're welcome no matter how far you've wandered. See, we care. Our community cares for you. However you've been misplaced, however you've messed up, we care. It doesn't matter where you've been, how far you've gone, where you've wandered. We love you. Not only that, we're going to celebrate how much we, we love you. The religious guys, hey guys, isn't that how you see it? Isn't that how you see it? And just just when he kind of lays this out, drops this bombshell on where it's probably very quiet in the moment, Jesus leaves the picture of the shepherd and he moves somewhere and he takes them to a journey. He moves somewhere and he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven for one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, if you look at it just from a surface level, it's kind of an out there statement. The, the what does heaven have to do with this? Right in the middle. You see, here's the goal. Jesus, from the very beginning of his announcement, when he read the scroll in Luke chapter 4, was to bring heaven to earth. That was, his, that was his goal. We talked about this last month when I was with you. We were talking about that whole purpose of Jesus and why he came. His purpose was to do the Father's will on earth as it is in heaven. His whole goal was to restore genuine relationship and community that was lost in the garden. And so what is he saying? He's saying our community, our care, our relationship, our actions, our time, our energy, inside our community, everything that you and I do on a daily basis should reflect heaven. 
Let me say that again. Just if you didn't know, what, what we should do on a daily basis is to reflect heaven. Because you and I, our job is to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. We're supposed to reflect that. So what, what does heaven look like? No more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. How many can't wait for that? No more pain. But while I'm here, my job is to see pain and address pain as Jesus would do. My job is to release the captive, right? To, to bring deliverance to the oppression. Our job is to do that as a church because that's what heaven looks like and I'm to bring that down through the power and love and, and the Holy Spirit work inside of me. That's what I'm supposed to do. So my job, so what should our community look like? Our, sh- our community should also reflect heaven. Now watch this. Jesus is sharing and he says, eternity gets most excited. Eternity gets excited and celebrates around this. Listen to me. When one person recognizes their lostness and they're rescued by their Savior, that's when eternity gets, that's when heaven rejoices. And if that's a priority of the community heaven, and our job is to bring the community of heaven down to earth, then what? That has to be our priority on earth. That has to be our mission. So our job now, the most exciting thing the most exciting thing we can do is, is go reach out, go meet those needs, go meet the pain. And when that person recognizes their lostness and they're recognized by their Savior, that's when the community wins. That's when we win. Then comes one of the biggest truths, and I, I never noticed this before. See, the biggest problem with these community leaders, these religious guys was that they, they started to believe that they were good. I want you to stay with me here. Because oftentimes, as I, as I said in the prayer, sometimes, sometimes we choose sides. And you kind of look at the story, and you want to put yourself in the story. And if you look at the story, you kind of have three groups. You have Jesus who's teaching. You have two audiences that are listening. One audience is the guys who are the cast outs, and they're sitting at the feet of Jesus, they're listening in that community type setting. The other guys, you kind of get a point that they're listening from afar, they're condemning, they're talking, they're asking questions about the community. And sometimes I'm, I'm so, when I read scripture, I'm hard on these Pharisee guys. I'm like, get them, Jesus. Go. Tell them about that sheep. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? And you were, we're like team Jesus. But a lot of times, most of our spiritual growth will happen if we understand both sides of the view and we could actually actively listen from a different perspective. So you have, these, you have these Pharisees, listen to me, and their biggest problem was that they started to believe that they were good. Do you know why they, they started to believe that they were good? Because compared to other people's bad, their bad wasn't actually bad, it was actually pretty good. So they're starting to justify how they live, how they act, how they behave. And compared to those guys, they're actually pretty good. In fact, they're a whole lot better. They actually, here's the point, they believe that they were no longer in need of rescue. They believe that they were no longer in need of rescue. Watch what Jesus says, and and this just jumped off the page to me in verse 7. 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. These people don't exist. Say that again. 
99 righteous persons who need no repentance. These people don't exist. And Jesus is dropping a bomb on them that you're not as good as you think you are and you actually need more rescuing than you think that you need. Now listen, he's showing them that, that no one is born righteous, not one but me. It all comes back to me. No one is inherently good. But here's the problem, religious people. You believe that you don't need rescue. And because you see yourself and you see others, you start to draw, watch this, you draw subjective lines. And you start to make up cultural classifications of what's right and what's wrong. And it's become about what you wear. It's become about your fine robes. It's become about how you talk. It's become about your loud prayers. It's become about your church attendance. It's become about your categories of self-righteousness. All forms to make you look good and them look bad. And Jesus is saying, the whole point of this is you've changed what community is supposed to be. You've changed it. And the problem is, those categories don't come from this king and his kingdom, and you're messing it up. I would like to just say this as your pastor, say this because I love you, that the goal of Christianity is to not use this book as an ethical rangefinder. So you can arrive at a place where you finally feel good, or let's go ahead and say it better than someone else. That's not Christianity, that's actually religion. And what it does is it leads to all forms of prejudice and abuse and ungodliness. You see, Christianity says, it declares that there's no one righteous. There's only one that's holy. There's only one that's just. And he's the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to God any other way. That's what, that's what it says. And he's pleading. He's pleading with these religious leaders. He's saying, heaven experienced joy over people who know they're lost and know they need to be rescued and they come to that rescuer. You guys don't need that anymore. A kind of thinking, a kind of worldview where I'm good and they're bad, it snowballs into so many classifications and categories and now what happens is we're setting up moral codes in our community. Remember the man, the two men who come into the temple, and one man he prays, and he looks over at the Gentile, what does he say, I'm, I'm thankful I'm not like him, I'm thankful I'm not a sinner, I'm thankful I'm not like this man who is a, who is a retrograde, who, who, is a, who is a cast off, I'm thankful that I'm not like him, and then he said there's another man who knew he was in need of rescue, who beat his chest and said, oh God, I need you. And it said the two left, which one was forgiven? Which one was left justified? It was the man who was not self-righteous, but the man who was in need of rescue. You see, here's the danger, and this is where I find myself, is that if you've been following Jesus for some time, you start to get into a groove. You know what I mean? You start to get into a groove. If we're not careful, we're impressed with ourselves. Pretty good. Marriage, on point. Finances, I tithe. Check. 
job, I'm awesome. We, we, start to, we start to get in this groove, Jesus, me and you. All, all, of that is, all of that is great. But all of a sudden, what we used to be is no longer a part of our story. So you used to do all that bad stuff. And we even have this statement like, oh, they could just do it like I did it. They would be awesome. I overcame all that stuff. I did all this stuff. And we have this picture of ourselves. And, and it happens so fast. And then all of a sudden what happens is we miss the marginalized and we're not aware of people's pain and where they are. We tend to think that we have it all together and I'm not that bad. So Jesus is upset with this entire view. So he gathers this community of people there's this community of people that are in need of being rescued. And they understand, this community understands definitely, especially in the culture time frame that they're in, they understand they're not righteous. And now they're starting to grasp that, that you know what, no one's righteous. And they're longing to be in his community. I don't know about you, church, but that's where I want to be. I, I want to be one of the ones one of the ones who's rescued, that gets to sit at his feet, that understands the adoption process of the king, that understands that there's nothing I can do in my own achievements. In fact, everything that I try to do, all of my attempts are as filthy rags, but yet he adopts me. He says, come to my community, wherever you've been, however you've been marginalized, however you've been misplaced, whatever hurt you've gone to, I want to be in that community. I want to sit in that community. I want to be a part. I want to be a part of that. I want to be the rescue guide, the rescue guide that just sits at Jesus' feet. And then moving forward, listen to me, here's where the stretch is. That's what I want my community to look like. Let me say that again. That's what I want my community to look at. Just a bunch of people who understand that they're, they've been rescued, they've been bought, they've been redeemed, they've been changed, they've discovered the way, truth, and life, and he's radically changed them, and they've got a story to tell. I, I want to be a part of that, of that community. So what I, that's what I want my heart to look like. That's what I want my lifestyle to look like. That's what I want the community to look like. As we close this morning, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing greater than these. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, loving him with everything, and then creating that same kind of community again and again and again with people. It's the greatest. It's what follows a relationship with God. Do you know what follows that relationship with God is right relationship with others. That's what he's saying here. And so I want my charge to you this morning, may, may our, our community look like his, his community. What is that? A, a community that cares? A community that's caring and caring, that's involved? A community that would, that would assume burdens of others and a community that restores to the family right relationship with joy, with celebration. And some of you may be crossing your arms and saying, what about discipleship? What about this? Listen, there's lost all around you. 
that need Jesus. That stuff comes. You know, one of the things is, it's not my job to be the condemnation police. It's never been my job. In fact, Jesus didn't say, he said, I didn't come to condemn. I've come to save. I've come to rescue. I've come to do that. And our job is to, to be that light, to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. And what if you and I, what if you and I, what if we could do that? Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.